This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, great to have you here. An honor, a pleasure, a privilege. A lot of stuff happened over the weekend. Quite a weekend. And got an early start today with some Fox and Friends morning, mornings with Maria over at Fox. So I've been up for quite a while. In buck time, it's like I've been up for many days. But I didn't get to stop all that much over the weekend because there's so much going on. Trump went to my old, I was going to say alma mater. I guess that's not technically true, but my old stomping ground, Langley, which the first few weeks you're there, you're just overtaken by how it is hollowed ground of, counterintelligence and espionage and spy craft and by month six you're like this feels like a bus depot get me out of here just kidding it's more interesting than that sometimes the work is the work is a a bit more interesting than your run-of-the-mill bus depot stuff not all of it probably Uh, but Trump Trump went out there to speak to the CIA workforce and this was his first post-inauguration uh, post-inauguration stop. I spoke to you a bit about the inauguration speech on Friday. I didn't think it was the vile Hitlerian catastrophe that many others in the media did. I thought it was exactly what Trump said he was going to say all along in the campaign. I don't see it as tremendously... Why would it be tremendously different? It would be quite strange, wouldn't it, if all of a sudden... The Donald ceased to be the Donald, and he took an entirely different tone and was saying different things. That would strike me as quite odd, I have to say. And yet here we are. Uh, he So he spoke about, well, I won't get into the inauguration speech right now. Let's focus on the CIA speech, because this is the, this is the story that the media will not let die. They are going to keep on this one for as long as they have to until eventually they reach a place where there's either a special prosecutor investi- investigating Trump or there's so much pressure that there's an, an impeachment movement. I, I don't know. They, they're, they're just not going to stop. Like a terrier with a bone. Not going to let it go. I like terriers. So this is what we got. Trump shows up at Langley. He stands in front of the memorial wall at Langley. It has the stars etched into the uh, marble representing fallen agency officers, those who were killed in the line of duty. And some of them are named and some of them are not named. Uh, it depends on their status at the time of of, uh, of death. Um, so it's the most revered site at Langley, but it's also 
the most well-known. It's the most famous. And Trump stood in front of it, and he gave, as commander-in-chief, he gave a speech. Now, there are a couple of ways we can approach this. We can look at the substance and the intent of what Trump said. And then we can also break it down and analyze the specific tone and verbiage and subject matter that was outside of the purpose of the visit. What I mean by this is, what was Trump's intention? What was he trying to get across? And then on the other side, you can do, is this a presidential-sounding speech? Is this the way that you think the commander-in-chief is going to speak when he stands in front of the wall of fallen intelligence officers at Langley? And Langley, by the way, is the name for it, but really uh, it's, it's interesting. Whenever you go back in the history, I'm pretty sure Robert E. Lee's family owned the initial plot of land where Langley is, and there's some connection there. Uh, so the, he stood in front of the memorial wall and was going to give his speech, and it was what I would expect from Trump. I, I don't think we really need to have people constantly reminding us that Donald Trump talks about himself and has a very different way, a different way of communicating. Here is what he said in part. Play clip one, please. I, I want to say that there is nobody that feels stronger about the intelligence community and the CIA than Donald Trump. There is nobody. And the wall behind me is very, very special. Uh, we've been touring for quite a while. And I'll tell you what, 29? I can't believe it. Oh, 28. We've got to reduce it. But that's amazing. And it, it, we really appreciate what you've done in terms of showing us something very special. And your whole group, these are really special, amazing people. Very, very few people could do the job you people do. And I want to just let you know, I am so behind you. And I know maybe sometimes you haven't gotten the backing that you've wanted. And you're going to get so much backing. Maybe you're going to say, please don't give us so much backing. <laughs> Mr. President, please, we don't need that much backing. Trump shows up at Langley to tell the workforce of the CIA and the intelligence community writ large that he's got their back, he appreciates what they do, he understands the importance of it, and also that it's a hard and almost always thankless job. That's what he's out there to say, and that is what he said. If you look at the reviews of it, though, oh my gosh, it was just people panning it, it was terrible, it was horrible, because... He talked about how he was on Time magazine, and he he went into some Trumpian non sequiturs. This is just the way he was speaking extemporaneously. As far as I know, there were no notes and there was no prompter. So he just got up in front of the workforce or a, a portion of the workforce and addressed them. The whole purpose of his presence there is to explain to all of them, to make his case that he's on their side, that he believes in them, that he will help them, that he'll be there for them, that he is on their, that he is, he has got their back. He said he's got their back a thousand percent. He said that he loves them. He said that they're the tip of the spear. And when you look at the way the media reported on this, 
you got like what's this guy Mark Halpern over at Bloomberg saying but what I think was most disturbing was what the president did at the CIA to stand in front of the wall of people who have made the ultimate sacrifice for this country with no credit because they're anonymous and to talk about himself that way I think that confirms the worst feelings people had people say there's a good Trump and a bad Trump it's the absolute worst of Donald Trump's personality he wasn't standing in front of it to to be disrespectful. He was trying to be respectful in the sense that he was trying to talk about how much he reveres the intelligence community's work. And he's also establishing the separation between the intel community, between the run of the mill rank and file intel officers and the senior officials who are quite obviously trying to take his presidency down and do so with leaks and do so with innuendo and smears. That is happening. That is a real thing that is going on right now, and it has been for weeks. Now, now maybe even stretching into months. That is a reality. So he wants to separate that out. Play clip two, please. So I can only say that I am with you a thousand percent. And the reason you're my first stop is that, as you know, I have a running war with the media. They are among the most dishonest human beings on Earth. <laughs> right? And they sort of made it sound like I had a feud with the intelligence community. And I just want to let you know, the reason you're number one stop uh, it is exactly the opposite, exactly. And they understand that, too. And I was explaining about the numbers. We did a... So he's out there to tell them they're awesome, and he's out there to tell them the media is a bunch of liars, and they're the ones that are, that are creating this narrative of Trump doesn't like the CIA. I know, I know the comments. I know that he said, you know, didn't they get Iraq wrong? And the answer is, yeah, uh, they did. And... He was fighting back in the course of fighting back against a, a media narrative. He also said some things that in Trumpian fashion were overly broad and. That maybe upset some people, but not really everybody who's working in, in these places. First of all, they all have their built in political beliefs before Trump even was president. People who work for God, this notion that there are all these automatons that show up at Langley and elsewhere, you know, Fort Meade, NSA and all these places that they show up and then they just have a, they're completely nonpartisan. And sure, their work is supposed to be nonpartisan it is it often at the top level. And when it comes to the product that goes to the president and the principals, the cabinet level and, and close deputies. What they see can be very politicized, and there are a lot of internal fights. I sat in rooms where people were unprofessional and petty and vindictive towards each other over what was clearly a political debate making its way, you know, making its way out into into public through the intelligence assessments that we were writing. That happened all the time. Do you, do you think that you could do an assessment of? Oh, I don't know. Let's just pick something off the top of my head. The effectiveness of the surge under the Bush administration. Do you think that there were people that really wanted that were John Kerry voters and, and diehard Democrats who weren't just a little more inclined to think that, yeah, that surge thing's not going to work? 
I'm not saying everyone. I'm not saying a majority. I'm just saying that's there. Of, co- of course, these things are politicized. But Trump was trying to separate out those two ideas. One, he respects and loves the intel community. And two, look at the military voting, by the way. A very important metric that I think doesn't get enough attention. You got Hillary Clinton, a former secretary of state, running against Donald Trump. Who gets more votes by the, from the military? I think it was close to two to one. So those who are actively serving the United States military, all the different armed, armed uh, service branches, they went with Trump. But we're always told that he's in the Russia's pocket and he's reckless and he can't be trusted and all this stuff. They just don't care what he tries to do. They're going to hate it. Do I think that the optics of standing in front of the uh, memorial wall at the agency probably not agree? Yeah, it was it was not the wisest move. Do I wish that Trump would stop saying we should we should have kept the oil in Iraq? Yeah, I wish he would stop saying that. I don't know why he thinks that's a line that he should stick to and we should keep hearing about it. But just go and do as a little experiment, have some fun. Go and read the online commentary uh, on social media from various journalists and commentators and then go read the newspapers online and everything else about Trump's visit, and they make it sound like Trump was taking bong rips in front of the memorial wall and was on a skateboard and just couldn't give it, couldn't give a darn when he's out there specific and said specifically that he's trying to show reverence for the community and that he really cares deeply about what they do and he's on their side. So shouldn't that be the more and he's speaking he's not obama he doesn't have two prompters he's speaking extemporaneously look i am completely aware of trump's flaws and shortcomings i think a lot of people are that do support it i think that they don't pretend that he's perfect but i keep coming and i don't want to always just make this always oh, better than hillary on really important issues to this country i believe he's more or less in the right place and wants to do good things. Will he accomplish them? We'll see. But we can't tr- we, we can't trust the media to speak honestly about these things. We can't trust the media to come out and give a fair hearing to the Trump administration and specifically Donald Trump himself. They were acting like this speech was the most disrespectful thing. You know, they they made it seem like Donald Trump was walking around you know, Arlington Cemetery, Cemetery burning flags or something. I mean, they really went after him on this stuff. And when you watch a speech, you say to yourself, okay, he, he wandered a bit and he got into some other areas he probably shouldn't have, but the overall substance was there. The intent is good and was proper, and I think he was making the right move. But it's just... They they won't let him get they won't let him get to first base. They will throw everything they can in his path. Don't even want to see if he's got some good ideas. Maybe he could do some things that would be good for all Americans. It is possible that could happen. They don't want to wait and see. They don't want to listen. Uh, you should watch this whole. It's only fifteen minutes long. By the way, mercifully short inaugural speech. Mercifully short speech. This should be the new norm. Twenty twenty or less from politicians. Period. This whole thing of let's sit through a two-hour State of the Union address, this is brutal. Under 20. If you're giving a speech and it's important, 
it's important enough that you take your timing seriously and that you keep it under 20 minutes. That's what I think. I have very few exceptions to that rule. So I do appreciate that aspect of them. 888-900-3393. Phone lines open, team. Got a lot of show to cover. I'm going to get into all the craziness from over the weekend. I, you just got to stay with me. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Trump administration doesn't always make it easy for those of us who want to have an open mind and support their new situation. Sean Spicer, who is the new smarmy smurf Jay Carney, except obviously he's not smarmy smurf. uh, The new Josh Ernest, the White House press secretary. He came out and decided to address the press and it was just not helpful. I, I can't, this one I can't see the upside. Wanted to argue with the press about the size of the inauguration crowd out on the mall. And he said, we have the clip, right, where he just, just play Sean Spicer. Good evening. Uh, thank you guys for coming. I know our fish, first official press briefing is going to be on Monday, but I wanted to give you a few updates on the president's activities. Uh, But before I get to the news of the day, I think I'd like to discuss a little bit of the coverage of the past 24 hours. Yesterday, at a time when our nation and the world was watching the peaceful transition of power, and as the President said, the transition in the balance of power from Washington to the citizens of the United States, some members of the media were engaged in deliberately false reporting. For all the talk about the proper use of Twitter, two instances yesterday stand out. One was a particularly egregious example in which a reporter falsely tweeted out that the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. had been removed from the Oval Office. After it was pointed out that this was was just plain wrong, the reporter casually reported and tweeted out and tried to claim that a Secret Service agent must have just been standing in front of it. This was irresponsible and reckless. Secondly, photographs of the inaugural proceedings were intentionally framed in a way in one particular tweet, to minimize the enormous support that had gathered on the National Mall. This was the first time in our nation's history that floor coverings have been used to protect the grass in the mall. That had the effect of highlighting any areas where people were not standing, while in years past, the grass eliminated this visual. This was also the first time that fencing and magnetometers went as far back on the wall, preventing hundreds of thousands of people from being able to access the mall as quickly as they had in inaugurations past. Inaccurate numbers involving crowd size were also tweeted. No one had numbers because the National Park Service, which controls the National Mall, 
does not put any out. By the way, this applies to any attempts to try to count the number of protesters today in the same fashion. We do know a few things, so let's go through the facts. We know that from the no, platform no, where the president was sworn into 4th Street holds about 250,000 people. From 4th Street to the media tent is about another 220,000. And from the media tent to the Washington Monument, this another This is like another a consulting interview people. question now. All of this space was full when the president took the oath of office. We know Who that 420,000 people used the D.C. Metro okay. Public Transit. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop the Sean, the Sean Spicer Express here. There are things that I can understand and see and, and put in context of Trump administration. When they go into the weird petty place, though, I, I, I don't get it. I don't know what this isn't a big deal, except now I, mean, I don't care. But why do they care about this? And now you also have the press all pointing to this to say this is amateur hour. They're arguing over the size of the inauguration crowds. What what difference does that make? And, and I, I'm left to be I don't know why fight on this. There's real stuff. There's bad stuff happening out there right now. And there's protesters burning limousines, and we're going to talk about the inauguration crowd size and and, a, and an errant tweet. I just, it's not a big deal, but it's just so petty and weird. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we are joined now by John Fund. You all know him well from his other appearances here on the show. He's a national affairs columnist for National Review at John Fund on Twitter. John, great to have you. John? Yes. There we go. Hey, what's up, John? Sorry, I didn't hear you for a second. I'm back. Uh, Happy post-inauguration day. Hope you had a good weekend, sir. Uh, let's talk a bit uh, before we get into the, the, the Trump tastic stuff that's gone on recently. I want to ask about a, a column you wrote in National Review about Ob- one of Obama's or, or you said Obama's final whopper as president it has to do with the voter ID laws. Before we talk about the media and truthfulness and Trump, what does Obama w- say that's not true? You got a quite a, a good example here. Interesting example. Obama says he's going to devote a lot of his post-presidency to fighting for voting rights in America. And one of the reasons he's going to do that is we're the only country in the world that puts up barriers uh, to people voting. Uh, And he mentioned voter ID laws. Well, every country in the world has voter ID laws. That's an industrialized democracy, including uh, those racists up north in Canada, Mexico, Britain, the European Union. And so it's one of the most preposterous lies I've ever heard because it's 100 percent inaccurate, not 90, not 80, 100. And was there any outcry in the media about this one and and truthfulness and the death of veracity in our politics? Now, I'm guessing not a lot. I mean, you wrote a piece on it, but I'm assuming this didn't make the front page of The New York Times, The Washington Post. When Obama says there is no voter fraud, which he also said in his final press conference, nobody challenged him on that. Well, if you go to the Heritage Foundation's website right now, 
you will find hundreds and hundreds of recent examples of voter fraud. Uh, now, Donald Trump, you know, doesn't have data to back up the claim that three million people voted illegally and he, you know, carried the popular vote. But there is voter fraud out there and voter ID is stopping it. And Barack Obama apparently isn't interested in stopping voter ID, uh, voter fraud because that's why he's blocking voter ID laws and has blocked them for eight years while he was president. What would have to happen for us to really know how much voter fraud there is? John? Well, let's, what let's would get, have to? Here's three things that Trump could do that Obama refused to do. We could have the federal government sue the states that refuse to clean up their voter rolls, because if you take federal money to improve your voting systems, you have to accept federal demands that you clean up your voter rolls. Obama didn't do that for eight years. Second. Uh, the states have been demanding for years to the Customs and Border people, give us the names of your legal aliens in this country so we can compare them to our voter registration rolls because we have academic studies that show when people are asked, 6% of non-citizens say, yeah, I voted in the last election. Well, let's see if that's real. Are they on the voter rolls? Did they vote? Uh, Obama administration has refused to give those lists to the states. Lastly, the tax system, IRS, they have a list of a whole bunch of illegal aliens who use their own name, their own social security number to get paid. Let's, let's get those lists and compare them to voter registration rolls. Of course, Obama has refused to do that. If we do that, we may finally have a sense of how big the problem is, which is precisely why the Obama administration refused to give the list to the states, because they don't want to know what the problem is because they claim there is none. And if we could prove how widespread the problem actually is, then there would be a groundswell of support, I would assume, it. to take the kind of... Me- like, I'm for sorry? example, when you register to vote, let's have you prove you're a citizen. That's, yeah. not, a, that's not a hard thing to do. Uh, people can prove they're citizens. They have to do it when they, get, when they take a job. When you take a job, you have to prove you're a citizen. Look, I, I, I hope that the Trump administration takes up these suggestions and, and does it. Uh, but we know that the left will will scream scream bloody murder the moment that anyone tries to do no anything. Voter fraud. Yeah, they're going to say that, that. That's I'm always amazed that they'll say there's no voter fraud, and I'll see this on a panel at MSNBC, some of these other places. They'll say there's no voter fraud, and maybe some some uh, meek uh, soul in the corner will say, well, well, actually, there was a case or two last year where somebody went to jail. So there definitely is such a thing as voter fraud, and then they very quickly pivot to, well, there's just not a lot of it. And then, as yeah, you point out, John, don't want to know we don't how know how much there is. Yeah. That's the whole key. Yeah, we, we, we don't See know. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Now, uh, the first week of Trump, we've got a few things that are happening right now, including uh, the Trump withdrawal, as it's being reported, from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, what what do you think is going to be the what's the most important thing that's on the on the slate for this week? There's some other regulations that they're going to be changing. There's some things here and there he's already taking action on. But what should we well, be paying TPP attention to? Is, is the TPP a big deal? It was symbolic because it was never going to pass Congress. Uh, what is not symbolic but very important is uh, Trump signaled last week that he is not going to enforce most of the provisions of Obamacare pending the final resolution of what's going to replace it. And that's a big deal. Uh, the signal is going out to everyone. There is going to be change. Obamacare cannot survive in its current form. Um, the marketplace is collapsing. The co-ops are closing. Premiums are skyrocketing. So Obamacare is collapsing. Something will replace it. And Trump is saying, I'm serious. Uh, we're going to have a health care system that, that functions. And I'm basically saying, uh, don't depend on the current rules being in effect a few months from now. 
Do you think that they have a transition plan already, or are they making this well, up as they go? With there's an excellent version of one that was released today by two Republican senators. One was a doctor named Bill Cassidy from Louisiana. Another one was Susan Collins, who's the most moderate Republican in the Senate. It's an excellent starting point. It basically has three elements. It says to the really hardcore left-wing states, if you want to stay in Obamacare, you can stay in Obamacare and watch your marketplace collapse. Then it says to states that are really hardcore individualist states, let's say like an Idaho, you know, you want to pull out completely and not be involved with the federal government and health care, you can do that too. Most of the states, they think, are going to accept something that's an alternative to Obamacare, which will be keep the best parts of Obamacare that people like, like pre-existing conditions and keeping your kid on the policy till he's 26, um, but create medical savings accounts for everyone, including people who don't even know they'll have them, you know, the guy under the bridge or the 28-year-old kid who thinks he's invincible. And when they and, and they'll be paid for by the money that would be saved by taking away the subsidies from people and by having the states rejigger their Medicaid programs, because most people who got Obamacare actually didn't get insurance. They got Medicaid, which is the health care program for the poor. So when you show up in an urgent care facility with a fracture or something like that, that's going to be paid out of your medical savings account up to a certain point. Then, of course, it will be a deductible. For most people, that's going to be improved over the current system because the problem Obamacare policies have now is I went online just to check the other day. Deductible, six, $7,000 a year? Unless I have a heart attack or cancer, I'm never going to hit that. So it doesn't, it's, it's insurance that doesn't help me, except, you know, for catastrophic illness. Well, let's have and if you fall on that policy. unhappy cohort of people that don't get subsidies to buy the insurance, it actually you don't can get, be pretty pricey, too. Okay, it could be $1,000 a month. <laughs> and that's for like a $2,000 deductible. You know, you want to get a, a $5,000 deductible? Uh, you know, you're still going to be paying like six or seven hundred in states like New Jersey or New York. Yeah, it's not. It's not way, a good plan. But... Counties, thirty percent of counties in this country, Buck. There's only one choice for health care in those exchanges. One choice. That's not competition. That's called strangulation. If Trump approves that, he'll be he'll be making some some big and important strides. What do you see on immigration? By the way, that's gotten some play in the press, but not a lot of specifics so far. Well, apparently he's going to delay the exec, appeal, repealing the executive order that kept the Dreamers, the kids who were here, brought to this country, were born here, brought by their parents, as, and have grown up here as minor children. He's going to defer that until he works out a bigger solution with other immigration problems. Uh, I think he's going to start building the wall. Congress has already appropriated the money for the wall, so nothing new has to be done on that. Uh, I think he's going to move f firmly but judiciously. I don't think he's going to be scaring a lot of people. Uh, most of what he's going to be doing is enforcing the existing law, especially the law, which should have been enforced all along. If you commit a crime in this country, we're going to deport you. No questions asked. You commit a crime, you're convicted of it, you're gone. He also met with business leaders this morning. I saw some of the, the, uh, the, the meeting that was televised and said that he may be cutting Im uh, regulations by 75% or more. Whether his numbers are accurate, do you, do you think that they're – do you think well, that he's going to be able, which seems like a lot, but is Trump, there... Trump does exaggerate. <laughs> yeah, he does exaggerate, but is is he going to slash and burn on the regulation side of things in, in a well, good way? There, 
there are a lot of things that have been holding back job growth and creating uncertainty in the economy. You know, one thing people will not do in an uncertain economy where they think the regulatory burden is constantly going to grow and sprout up in areas they haven't anticipated is they're not going to invest. And one of the things that Trump wants to do is create a climate of certainty. These are the regulations These regu- that are going to be in place. You better obey them. These are the regulations that don't make sense. We're going to get rid of them. These are the regulations that will not be coming online in the future because I have a different approach. And so therefore, you can have some certainty. Therefore, go invest, go create jobs, and let's start growing this economy. John Fonda is a national affairs columnist for National Review. John, anywhere else you want to direct people, a site, a book, an article? Nationalreview.com has an archive of all of my pieces. That's a good place to start. And um, they can also um, go to the Wall Street Journal last week. I had a piece on Obama's um, scandalous administration, the one he claims, of course, was scandal-free. That was in Tuesday's Wall Street Journal. You can call it up on Google. Fantastic. John, thanks for joining us. And team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. So I'm going to uh, reevaluate for a second here. Just came upon a piece by our friend Sean Davis over at The Federalist, uh, Federalist.com. And Sean points out that the bust of Martin Luther King's story, the way that Spicer said it, he says there was a tweet. Well, it was a tweet by a journalist from Time Magazine that then got picked up as a news story, which I, I will say i will admit on that i did not know that it was picked up as a news story by a number of of outlets it was spread by think uh, oh no i'm sorry pardon me no no i was right it was retweeted but it was retweeted by a lot of other journalists which gives it the veneer of truth it was spread by a think progress editor a newsweek writer a buzzfeed editor a washington post columnist so a lot of accounts with people that are so-called journalists spread that as though it were true this brings me back to a thesis that i've been hitting with you in recent weeks at what point is reckless news fake news i think that they keep relying on the oh well we just jumped on the story too quickly because we liked it that doesn't mean that it's fake news at some point you're culpable in a way that it goes beyond at some point it is intentional propaganda even if you didn't fabricate it but to use it is a form of propaganda unto itself. I don't see... So on the bust of Churchill thing, or sorry, the bust of Martin Luther King, I I do see why... Although I don't think it was necessarily the venue for it, but Spicer coming out on that one the way he did, it makes a little more sense to me now. I didn't realize it had gotten such uh, such widespread uh, widespread sharing on the on the web. On the crowd size thing, I just my impression of it is that they're playing into the Democrats' hands with that by making it seem like they're petty and this is all oh Trump always talks about how successful he is and how big his hands are and how big his hotels are and how it plays into that whether that's really fair or not. I also just don't I just don't think anybody cares how many people are at an inauguration. 
I, I, the same way that we shouldn't care how many people are at a protest. There are a million people protesting Trump. Great. There are 60 million people who voted for him. I don't care there are a million people who protested Trump or 200,000 or whatever it was. Never mind the protests in the streets, which we'll be talking about a bit more coming up later in the show. But that, so I'll, I'll amend that a little bit. The Spicer on the busts, and it was such a, and I, I had to tip my, uh, Sean Davis for pointing this out. It was such a gross error. In both senses of the word gross. It was such an obvious thing. You're not going to ask the White House or anybody who works there or, or or even try to just look around the room thoroughly before you before you make that claim. Then the back off from that from a Time magazine journalist is that a Secret Service member was standing in front of it. That's pretty weak sauce. Really weak sauce. And that's not you see that they're not good faith errors. They're anti Trump errors. And there are far too many of them for this to be a coincidence. While that may seem like a small thing, it just also ties into the narrative of he's a Trump is a racist. He's such a bad guy. He got rid of the MLK bus. You see how it all goes. You see all of that. So I okay Spicer on that one, but the, on the on the crowd thing, it just looked it the optics of it were not strong, and I don't think it's a place where we should be putting a lot of energy to fight over who had a bigger crowd. I would be willing to bet Obama in two thousand and nine probably had a bigger crowd, but I also don't care. Nobody should really care. Parades and inaugurations, not my bag. Do not care. Do not really understand. What is what all the hullabaloo is about? It's not my thing. So there's that. Uh, we'll be talking a bit more about all things uh, media and Trump, including this video of a woman on a plane that we'll play the audio from it. I wish the video is not great. The audio is all you really need. But there is a very commonplace sentiment now that anti-Trump people can just say whatever the heck they want and be as nasty as they want to anybody who's even open-minded towards Trump. Never mind went to the inauguration and celebrated it. This is a real disease of the mind that's going around, and it is the progressives that are suffering from it. But we're the ones who suffer because of it. More coming. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Our friend Emily Zanotti of Heat Street, where she is the political editor, joins now. She's got a whole bunch of pieces up on HeatStreet.com. We're going to run down them, rack them, and stack them. Hey, Emily, how are you? Sounds good. Good. How are you? I'm good. All right, let's talk some stories on HeatStreet.com. First, media agrees Donald Trump's inauguration speech was dark and swiped from a Batman villain. They even said that because he wanted to return power to the people, which I thought was sort of a phrase that you could use for a whole bunch of different reasons, he was just straight up 
plagiarizing Bane from uh, right. da- the Dark Knight movie. Yeah, so obviously because he said, I'm going to return power to the people, it appeared in his speech. It appeared in Bane's speech right before he blew up a football stadium. That was an indication that Donald Trump was clearly going to become an arch villain and we were going to be required to have Batman. It seems a little seems a little bit like a leap to me. I'm I'm just putting this out there. Yeah. Just yeah. A, a little bit of a logical leap, but you know. I'm I'm getting it I'm getting a little bit of a sense too that the media in general does not like Donald Trump. There's that thought that keeps running through my head and I'm seeing some evidence to support this thesis as well. Yeah, you know, I feel like we've kind of entered an era where we're back to investigative reporting and they've just decided somewhere along the line that they don't like him. So this is just going to be the theme for the next eight years. And at the inauguration, every single one of them, we couldn't find a media outlet on mainstream news that did not call that speech dark. They used the exact same terminology. And I wanted to ask you, uh, this may be an impossible question, but just as you can define it or, or try to get near a definition for it. What was, I'm going to talk about this more in the third hour, but what was the woman's march all about, the women's march all about this weekend, really? I'm not really sure. I think it was just an excuse to give a lot of people the ability to knit something. I, I feel like I asked this question a number of times to a number of attendees and they simply couldn't give me an actual reason they were marching. I was having a really hard time zeroing in on that. It was, I guess, nice to see people peacefully protesting instead of what happened on Friday with the burning limos, but it lacked a little bit of focus. There was a definite lack of focus, and uh, I'll be playing the Ashley Judd and and Madonna audio in the the third hour, at least read Ashley Judd's quotes with some words stripped out. She's She's a nut bar, by the way. Uh, oh, but uh, yeah. I, I, I was thinking of the Women's March because Elizabeth Harrington over at the Washington Free Beacon, who's uh, got some funny stuff on Twitter, a uh, good Twitter account, and Sean Davis over at The Federalist, uh, he retweeted her tweet, which is a headline, and I want to find where this headline is, and I haven't, been, I haven't Google searched it yet, but the headline from someone's think piece over the weekend was, how the Women's March, Women's March, Women's March's genital-based feminism isolated the transgender community that's right the women's march wasn't transgender friendly enough yeah we've actually did a story on this one of my colleagues did a story on this this morning because transgender individuals may not actually have lady-based parts and so to call it a genitalia-based march or a women's march or use terminology for the female genitalia was actually transphobic so you have to stay away from talking about, you know, those pink hats or the fact that people were dressed up as paper mache lady parts because that's insensitive to people who might identify as a woman but don't actually have those things. Another piece on HeatStreet.com. Barack Obama is back on Twitter under his own handle. He's. This is not going to be like other presidencies in recent memory. Barack, Barack Obama, yeah. he may not run again. But he's not going away either, is he? No, he says that he's going to remain very involved in politics. He's going to be a foil for Trump for as long as he can be. After he's done golfing in Palm Springs, he's coming back to D.C. to start the Obama Foundation, which 
is supposed to just make up his presidential library and archive all of his resources, but he says it's actually going to be a politically active organization opposing po- certain policy agendas. <sighs> do you want to do you want to do an exasperated breathe out with me there for a second? Just, just, if you feel, <sighs> <sighs> yeah, everybody at home too. <sighs> okay, anyway, it sounds like we're in a, in, a, uh, in a hot yoga class now. Okay, so There's one more thing we got here. Uh, that that's how we you know how that's how we roll here. What's it's called? Uh, uh, what's the hot yoga called? Come on. Oh, Bikram you're yoga. from Chicago. You know, don't pretend. What's the hot yoga called? Bikram B- yoga. Bikram, Bikram. There we go. Yeah. Bikram yoga. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to do yoga, but I I haven't done it yet. I've tried to do yoga once or twice, and I felt like my world was collapsing in on me. So I haven't gone back in a while. Okay, back to important things that people want to hear about from the news cycle. Uh, the Standing, oh, I like this one, HeatStreet.com. Standing Rock Tribe would like Dakota Access protesters to please leave. What happened here? I thought it was one big, fantastic drum circle hippie fest. Lots of patchouli. It was. It was a 600-person camp, and and there were children, and they were all reenacting Burning Man in the North Dakota Plains. But the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, who actually started the fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline back in the summer— now says that the protesters are just getting really annoying. They're not cleaning up after themselves, so they're causing their own environmental crisis. And it's getting kind of cold outside, and they don't want to be responsible for a bunch of hippies freezing themselves. And so they've asked them to please depart. They've given them until February 1st to start the process of packing up, and they have to be gone by February 28th, or the tribe itself is actually going to take action. Okay, there's a few great things here that I that I didn't get in my initial uh, rundown this morning that have since gone up on HeatStreet.com. By the way, I, I really enjoy your site; a lot of fun. Uh, oh, thanks. This is uh, we first. We have people are calling the women's marches transphobic again. The trans community mm-hmm. making an appearance here because of all the references to the p word. Well, yes. w- what what are they supposed to do about that? Apparently, you are not supposed to associate the Women's March with actual women. You have to associate it with sort of this, I guess, extended definition of what constitutes a member of the female gender. And actually, we found out this morning that lady parts are not included in that definition. If you had told somebody 10 years ago, I would say probably even five years ago, but definitely 10 years ago, that there would be a movement underway that would be completely crazed with self-righteousness that mm-hmm. states that it doesn't matter what your genitalia is, you can de- you can determine gender as an act of will, that would have been, you would have been a fear-mongering right-wing nutjob. And and yet here we are. Yeah, you would have been accused of snowballing and saying that, oh, this sort of cultural change is going to make a disaster that they're all going to have to live with. You would have been written off as a right wing nut job and told to, you know, go back to wherever you came from. But no, here we are. And yes. What, are you familiar with this term gaslighting when they say Trump is gaslighting America and all the left wing bloggers were using yes. this for a while? You know, you know, this gaslighting thing. Yeah, that's trying to make you seem like you're crazy. So, like, what is gaslighting? So, basically, it's an old movie. There's a movie called Gaslight. And in it, the protagonist is made, she's made to seem crazy by her husband so that she'll, I guess, divorce him or leave him. 
In this case, they think that Donald Trump is telling all of these people across America that America is bad. And so that's why they're voting for him, because they've been sort of hoodwinked by Donald Trump or hypnotized by Donald Trump into believing that their situation is bad when really it's quite fantastic. Ah, interesting. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, another one, by the way, worth pointing out. Also, Heatree.com. Women's March protesters. Wow. Women's March protesters booed Trump hotel staff, aiding woman having a heart attack. Yes. Any details uh, here? Other than just is, it, is, is, <laughs> is the headline pretty much the whole story? It could be. Walking past the Trump Hotel, and the EMTs were there, and uh, Trump Hotel staff were trying to help a woman who was on the floor and clearly not breathing. And they just decided to boo the staff just because they saw them right out in front of the hotel, even though they were actually saving a woman's life. There was there was no differentiation between the man himself, the actual hotel, and the staff or the EMTs for that matter. What happens with the protest movement? Do you think it continues on, or do they have they gotten out of their system for a little while? You know, you had Occupy Wall Street, and then there was a little period of, well, let's reevaluate. And then you had Black Lives Matter, and now under Trump, mm -hmm. is is it going to be what? Any ideas? Any any sense of what you think is coming down the pike here, or we just can't know? I don't know if we can know right now. I think even with the Tea Parties, we kind of didn't know what was going to happen two or three years later. These people who attended the march on Saturday seem to have done it primarily for the Instagrams and not really for the 2018 elections. So despite Michael Moore encouraging them to get out and run for office and Madonna apparently telling them she's probably going to bomb the White House, I don't really see this effort translating into action. But I suppose that remains to be seen. All right, I guess. Oh, one more thing. T-Swift is in trouble, Taylor Swift, because she didn't show up at the Women's March. Oh, no, good heavens, what to do? Yeah, they've been after Taylor Swift for a while. In fact, they were pretty angry with her that she didn't come out and support Hillary Clinton. They were angry with her that she didn't oppose Donald Trump. And now, of course, Taylor Swift can do nothing right. She didn't show up at the Women's March, so I guess a bunch of feminists aren't going to be buying her albums anymore. I think it's worth pointing out that with a lot of these celebrities, as much as we like to make fun of them, or at least I do, I can't speak for you, though, I feel like, Emily, you probably throw some shade at some celebrities who say dumb things about politics. Yeah, Just to, yeah I had a feeling. But they're, they're coerced into it. It's even worse than peer pressure. There's a yeah. professional... Uh, there, there's a professional blacklisting of anybody, not just who won't, not just for supporting Trump. I mean, that's like you, you know, you'll never work in this town again, kind of stuff. But for uh, if you don't actively get involved to support Hillary and Barack and the Democrats and mm -hmm. the transgender stuff, and the Women's March, you're not allowed to just sit on the sidelines and you know sing, dance, and act. They 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 want to make you do stuff. No, and actually, if you're a conservative in Hollywood, whether you're an A-list star or a D-list star or just somebody who works on a set, if you want to speak your mind, you have to go to these sort of secret meetings that happen in Hollywood, and you board a, a uh, Uber, and they don't tell you where you're going, and they drop you off in places, and they're, they're very secret meetings with very secret people, and they can't really speak out at all. It's easy for someone like Meryl Streep to do it because everyone in Hollywood who's anybody agrees with her. But conservatives in Hollywood and conservatives in the music industry are very far underground.
You know that among the medical profession, doctors, uh, they've done all this research that shows their political affiliations. Surgeons tend to be conservative. Mm-hmm. And the most left wing of MDs, do you want to take a guess? Um, internists? Psychiatrists. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Check yeah. that one out. Yeah. Just a fun little party fact for you. Throwing it out there, neither here nor there. Emily Zanotti is the political editor at Heat Street. She is E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. Emily, thank you so much for coming to hang out in the Freedom Hut. Come back soon. Will do. Team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I suppose this is the situation that we should all expect is possible now. You get on a plane, you sit down, and somebody next to you, uh, this is a flight from Baltimore to Seattle on Saturday, and somebody next to you asks whether you were there to protest Trump or to celebrate Trump. And if you were honest and you were a Trump supporter and said that, you might then have a complete stranger begin to berate you in all sorts of terrible, unfounded, rude, nasty ways and say things to you like, well, let's play some of the audio. This clip has gone viral. This happened just this Saturday. Trump supporter sitting there, woman sits next to him on the plane, and she just goes off. Play it. She has called me names and insulted me just for sitting down in the seat saying that I came here to celebrate today. Is there going to be a problem? There will be. I would like for him to change seats with someone. No, I'm going to get somebody. Well, you don't have that right. So I will get somebody to come and talk. All right. They, they escorted her. Oh, I'm sorry, but keep playing. That was a, that was a good. Can you believe in gravity? Did you know gravity is just a theory? Can you grab your This woman doesn't want this guy sitting next to her because he went to the he went to the presidential inauguration. I, she she acts like he's sitting there in a in a KKK robe and just got back from a rally. He went to a presidential. Okay, we can hit the audio. Thank you. He went to a presidential inauguration. And she wants him to be moved. And she has the temerity to think that she's in a place to say, I want him moved. It's like, lady, where do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And where do you think you are? She said to him, according to reports uh, that, that have since surfaced on Facebook and Fox News and elsewhere, I'm entitled to puke, uh, to get drunk and puke in your lap. I'm going to throw up right in your lap. You make me sick. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't you dare even put your arm on that rest. You disgust me. You should be ashamed of yourself. You put a maniac's finger on the button. You're a bigot. You should get off this plane. Well, you know who ended up getting off that plane? She did. They had uh, airline, and good for the airline. Game over, and she was causing a ruckus and berating a passenger, and you can't have fights and weird things happening up in the air so they just took they just took her butt right off that plane and there was clapping and chants 
there's clapping a chance of USA as they escorted her off. We, we've already had, we already had this. We've been to this before, right? Deja vu all over again, Yogi Berra style. We've been to this dance before. We had somebody who was being really unkind. That's that's for scratch. Who's being a total lunatic jerk to Ivanka Trump with her kids on uh, with her on a plane because her dad's becoming president. You had all the stuff that was said over the way. I'm going to get into it all, by the way. Baron Trump and all all of that. That's coming up in the third hour. But uh, we're coming up in, in a few minutes. We'll get to it. They don't learn. You are not allowed to do this stuff. You're not allowed to act out in this way. You can't take your political grievances as license to ruin other individuals' days and humiliate them and make them feel bad. These anti-Trump people are so mean. Did they not think that they're even for reasons of expedience? There's just such a there's such a self-defeating aspect of this. Even for reasons of trying to re trying to regain power, if you're a Democrat, don't you want to bring converts over to your side? Don't you want to win again? Don't you want to get tired of winning? Oh, that would really uh, I love it. Sometimes at the end of a tweet or at the end of a, I just want to say sad exclamation point just to get people riled up, just to see if I can get a little rise out of them. It's kind of fun, but this is really serious stuff. Everyone needs to just be cool to each other. This is not okay. And I love her whole thing too. You know, do you believe in you know, is gravity a theory? And you know, she thinks that she thinks that gravity and climate change are on the same are on the same plane. She really does. Because there are professors of physics at MIT that dispute gravity, right? Well, there are professors at MIT that dispute climate change doctrine. So I, anyway, I, I, that's a whole other discussion and i could talk about that one for hours too uh but yeah she got us they they tossed her butt off the plane and good that's the right thing they taught her a lesson and i'm sure she's humiliated now but she it's a lesson she had to learn she was humiliating that guy he was just sitting there didn't do anything mean people mean people are the worst mean people need to be mean to be shown that that's not okay and i think everyone team buck we all just need to give each other a hug right now all right Much more coming. Hard-hitting analysis. Hard news. Tough stuff. Roar. 888-900-3393, team. Back right after this break. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I see the reports here that Trump is waging some kind of a a war against our spies. Well, what are we supposed to think when we see things that tell us, for example, what Politico says here, that U.S. spies fear that allies will stop sharing intel under Russia-friendly Trump? So we're now being told that Donald Trump is going to be disrupting our efforts within the intel community just by nature of the fact that he is so he is so pro russia and that spies are worried let me let me read to you a little bit from this piece and then we'll deconstruct it a bit together 
now that Donald Trump is officially its commander in chief, America's foreign allies are being forced to grapple with a highly sensitive question. Is it still safe to share information with U.S. intelligence agencies? Uh, the global spy community, a fractious world where friends, frenemies, and sometimes enemies often enter alliances of convenience, always holds its breath when a new U.S. president takes office. But Trump is an anomaly even for a group used to strange, a group used to strange things. The new president, who is due to visit the CIA headquarters on Saturday, has spent weeks insulting the intelligence agencies he now oversees. He has also pushed for warmer ties with Russia. As a result... U.S. officials and analysts fear other countries will hesitate to share information with a a Kremlin-friendly Trump administration. These are just people that work for the intel agencies who are trying to say that Donald Trump cannot be trusted as commander-in-chief because of his relationship with Russia, which I have to say, I, I just think it's overstated. I'm not saying it's not there, and the moment that I see something that's real that's tangible that's bad some of the paul manafort stuff looks really bad he did step down as campaign chairman there were some weird things going on with manafort and consulting and ukraine that's real but that's manafort that's not trump i still can't get an answer to the question how is it that russia is going to dictate policy to trump when all along one of the main criticisms of him is that nobody dictates policy to trump because Trump decides what he decides, and that's how he wants to do things, and that's it. That no one can count on Trump to go one way or the other because he is mercurial. He makes it up as he goes along. He's not somebody who I would think any foreign government believes they can use leverage against to get certain specific policy outcomes, or at least if they think that they can be wrong. I should note to you, that one of the staggering things that we learned when the archives of the KGB were opened up, uh, and we could see them, and the best example of this is the Matrokin archive, which I've talked to you about. It's written under two books, uh, The Sword and the Shield and The Battle for the... It was The the World Was Going Our Way, The KGB and the Battle for the Third World, uh, or whatever, something like that was the title, that one of the very important... Takeaways, this is other than the enormous theft of military and commercial secrets that the Soviet Union engaged in, largely from people in this country who were ideologically aligned with communism. There were some that did it just for money, to be sure, but there were plenty of them who were just fellow travelers who just believed so much in the Soviet Union and in communism and the workers' paradise that they were building and workers of the world unite and all that stuff. And that's how they were able to pillage some of our secrets, uh, many of our secrets. But one of the other things that is apparent to you when you go through the archives is that the Soviets had a really weak understanding of the American mind. They were, they were incapable of exploiting certain gaps in our security because they couldn't believe that we were so trusting and they, they thought it was disinformation. Some of the stuff they got from us, some of the classified stuff they got during the Cold War, especially in the early days of the Cold War, they couldn't believe we would leave the front door open. They, they refused to believe the information they had because nobody would be so trusting and so naive and so oblivious. <laughs> in fact, we were. In fact, there were plenty of people that didn't think that the Soviet Union was a 
real counterintelligence threat, that they were our great ally after the second. This is really right in the 50s, early 50s, right after the Second World War. The Soviet Union, plenty of people thought, was someone that we could do business with. Or not necessarily business, but somebody that we could be working with constructively. Our government certainly didn't think so, but there were people in this country who did think so. But the Soviets didn't believe some of it. They also thought that the Americans were much more bellicose, that we were much more desirous of even a nuclear exchange than we were. They had some stuff very wrong at the highest levels, which is troubling. So we need to not make the mistake of thinking that Vladimir Putin and Russia are omniscient, that they are all seeing that the, that the FSB which, as you know, is a successor to the KGB. I think I can stop saying next enough of you already get that because we've talked about it here on the show many times. That the FSB is willing to play rougher than our intel agencies. They don't have rules. It's not that they're better. You'll, you'll hear this sometimes. And one of my most trusted and most, one of the most storied CIA authors I ever knew told me this once. Don't, start to, don't believe the hype about how, oh, the KGB is better, was better than the CIA you have to start from, well, they didn't have rules, and we have rules and oversight and lawyers and Congress, and there's a whole different ballgame. It's, it's like saying, well, they, they, they're faster in the race than we are around the track, and it's like, well, they cut across the middle, and, and they will try to push you to the ground, and they, they cheat. <laughs> so who's better? I mean, that's a, it's not really it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison with intelligence services. Because we have all the things that I said, oversight and laws and all these other issues that come up. And so uh, they didn't really understand the U.S. mindset. They didn't really understand the way that we viewed them. And that led to some, even though they had fantastic information, some very poor analysis. And the KGB analysts were, their case officers were, were good in the sense that they knew what they were trying to track down information wise. And they did so with some very notable successes. And then you have the Rosenbergs and others who were just communist sympathizers and passed immensely valuable information to the Soviets. But this idea that gets a lot of traction right now in the media that Trump is a, a Russian agent of influence and that we know that Trump is going to um, do what the Russians say and that Putin owns him, it's just being taken way too far. And I, I can't help but bristle a little bit at this u.s officials and analysts fear other countries will hesitate to share information with kremlin friendly trump this is people inside the community assuming that politico is not completely fabricating its sources which i don't think they would do that because although let's let's be honest how would anybody know this is one of the great unasked questions of journalism given that there are so many anonymous sources especially for juicy hard-hitting stories of that will have impact on the way people perceive political parties individuals how do you check on an anonymous source you, who's going to who's going to blow the whistle on that the person writing the piece doesn't have to let the higher-ups know who the source is necessarily so i'm just putting that out there a lot of anonymous source stuff going on against the trump administration now it is the trump administration he's no longer POTUS; he's potus but this is to say that not only do they not trust him, meaning these so-called sources inside the intel community, and I'm, I, I believe that there are plenty of people, as, as I've talked to you about in the past and, and very recently as well, the 
organs and machinery of the institutional left have taken over much of the government intelligentsia. Many of the government jobs that require advanced degrees, the CIA is full of them. Many of those positions are filled with far left Democrats now. And they absolutely hate Trump. They despise everything that he stands for. And they're clearly trying to undermine him. And I do think the White House... With a smile and one, you know, with a smile on their on their mouths, uh, while one hand was reaching out to th- congratulate Trump, the other hand was passing information to the press to make Trump look bad. On the way out, I think that I do not think they're above that. I don't think anybody in the in that former White House is above that, and it puts us in a very awkward position here. Those of us here in the Freedom Hood who try to just call things what they are, to be honest about it, to look at the information without political proclivity or bias just to look at it and try to understand what is true and what's not you have an entire media and government apparatus that wants not just to oppose but to destroy the trump administration and then you do have a trump administration that says things and does things and acts in a way that is sometimes hard to defend and they leave things that are murky and there are these ties and I get it. I'm I'm trying to look at it all honestly, but it's very hard when you know that there's such a huge effort out there to undermine the Trump administration. I think it becomes very hard to sift out what's what's noise, what's disinformation from our media about the Trump administration. How many news stories can they get blatantly wrong before we start to say this isn't just good faith accident. This is they've thrown the rules out the window because they'll go with anything that hurts the administration. Like I've said to you, the, the retraction versus correction paradigm. Right? When do you just correct one thing in a story versus when do you retract the whole story and say, sorry, we more or less made this thing up? That's shifting now because they don't want to have retractions. Those like that. So they'll just add a little correction to a story. But some of the corrections should be retractions, and some of the retractions are inexcusable. And you have to ask yourself, why are major newspapers making inexcusable errors? Always against Trump, never in favor of Trump. And at what point does it cross, the, does it cross that boundary into fake news? Because just like with criminal law, yeah, there's mens rea, there's the intent. There's, I know this is false and I'm going to do it anyway. But there's also recklessness, which reaches a level of criminality. And that alone can be... A problem. Yeah, if you're driving 120 miles an hour, well, then, of course, you're breaking the law. But you're and, and you mow down four people, even if it's totally accidental, you didn't mean to. That's recklessness. You're held criminally liable, criminally liable for those deaths. With the media, they're being reckless with the way they report about the Trump administration and it affects how we think about them. And to say things like, well, our, our spy, spy agencies around the world won't work with our spy agencies now because of because of Trump. They are just they are just boxing them in as fast as they can. They are sandbagging this administration. They're trying to trap it in the corner. Nobody puts Trump in a corner. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
This is the Buck Sexton Show. One of the first things that our newly sworn-in president, Donald Trump, did uh, was his uh, CIA visit. CIA visit on Saturday over the weekend, trying to reach out to the intel community. I used to work in the intel community, as you all know, and there is a lot of political stuff that goes on over there. And anybody who says otherwise is either lying or just doesn't know what they're talking about. And they have been really overtaken with a lot of Democrat. They're they're Democrat operatives in all but name. And I don't say that. It's different. I've never worked the FBI, so I can't speak knowledge about the FBI. I can tell you that in the CIA, there's the there's all this uh, Office of Diversity stuff. They're constantly pushing, and I think they do special sort of reach out to LGBTQ Day and all. Which this is not to say that I'm not friendly and kind towards LGBTQ people, but I mean the CIA is about defending the country and about spies and about clandestine operations, and it really shouldn't be forced to bend the knee to this PC politically correct nonsense but it does it does this is now this has now been infused into the federal culture and the government the permanent government not the elected government but the government that stays in place administration after administration reflects this increasingly and it's a problem it is a real problem and I think that the way that this plays out with the Trump administration could be very interesting because once he start, if he starts to look under the hood, he's going to see that there's a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse in even the national security agencies. That they're just huge. There are way there are way too many people working on some issues and not enough people working in others. I will say this, and this is the kind of thing that some would contest very uh, vociferously, but they are far too they are far too risk averse. They are way over lawyered. They have all sorts of it's so funny to me. People think of the CIA and these other agencies like they're these cowboy places where people are just running around doing all this stuff behind closed doors. It Everything moves at a glacial pace. Everything is a waste of I shouldn't say everything is a waste, but everything is wasteful of taxpayer dollars in one level or another. Eventually, they get to a point where there's just money being wasted. And the oversight of it is minimal, and a lot of it is kept secret, and, and that's that makes it harder to have real reform. But I'm just telling you, he's going to shake this stuff up, and as he shakes it up, it's going to get nasty. And I just have to laugh at how much the left now loves the waterboarding, black site-using CIA. Oh, the CIA is irreproachable now that it's a useful cudgel, a useful tool against Donald Trump. I was in the Bush era CIA, and some people thought that CIA was a dirty acronym dirty word it was getting a lot of abuse in the press oh we got iraq wrong we were cowards we wouldn't speak truth to power all this sort of stuff and it was really bad for morale you notice the press wasn't coming to anyone's defense then all right team uh, third hour coming up 888-900-3393 on the phones we gotta talk about this woman's march thing we'll hit that and more coming up The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to uh, Hour 3 in the Freedom Hut. I was out this weekend with my brothers and some friends, some of uh, my, my good buddies, including Kamal Ravikant, who we had on the show uh, last week to talk about his book, and, uh, uh, and Brandon Webb, uh, who many of you know is a former Navy SEAL. Um, I should say Kamal actually was supposed to hang out with us, but Kamal is sometimes uh, elusive. So I just realized he, he actually bailed on he bailed on lunch but we saw uh brandon and i saw my brothers and another buddy of mine from from high school so i was out with a bunch of the dudes for for lunch on saturday i don't call it brunch because it's men lunch and we were walking around the, we're walking around the city and sure enough we saw all of these young women walking around with these signs because there was a a march in many cities across the country coinciding with this what is it the women's march on dc so there were other marches yeah the chicago's the chicago women's march became too big for an actual march i see here on the new york post thousands of people in new york city not far from where i had lunch uh, thousands of them walked in the streets of the city with signs that were some of them are very crass and i want to get into that aspect of all of this too that it's clear that the progressive left seeks a an anti-feminization of women meaning that women should speak in a in a an aggressive abrasive foul-mouthed manner they should have signs that are yeah i'll say it unladylike and i'm not somebody who doesn't think that women are allowed to curse or belong in the kitchen or any of that old school sexist stuff but i i do think that there are time and place uh, restrictions that we should all put on ourselves for certain things and and it's it is there is something there is be a man is a thing and something or acting in a way that is ladylike or not is also a thing still despite what the left may say despite all of their efforts to erase the distinctions and really to say that gender is a psychological construct which is just a form of of crazy it really is gender is a psychological uh, we're, we'll hopefully have a guest on soon who can address this issue um address it from the perspective of medical expertise i'm working on that team but when we look at this now we see this march uh, you have all the stuff about love conquering all side by side with grabber you know you, you know blank grabs back a reference to the grabber by the blank with the donald trump stuff in the in the past all these very crass signs and what I'm seeing now, and this was my impression of it from over the weekend, is that the eight years of Obamaism is now a, a progressive drug that has been infused into the minds of many on the left. I, I do think this is beyond a normal political shift. I do think this is something we have not seen. This is the counteraction or the equal and opposite reaction, if you will, to a Obama presidency for those who take a more emotional position on their politics and on the way that they see them and what they support and how it what what it says about them, because that's really the uh, the underpinning underlying most important aspect of all of this. Right. What, what does it say about them? And what we see here is the reaction, the equal and opposite reaction 
to, and I don't mean equal as in it's the same, but there's the, the same love that they had for Obama has now turned into hatred of Trump. And the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side. But they have been infused with this drug, and it's like it's in their mind. And it, I don't know if it will ever, it will be detoxed, but we're seeing the initial withdrawal symptoms from Obama. That's what this is. This was like a national level leftist withdrawal symptom. And those who have been around somebody who's in withdrawal or somebody who's, whether they're trying to kick cigarettes or coffee or something much more serious, it can be ugly. It can be nasty. And I think at some level that explains some of the nastiness that we're seeing here because it is just irrational. It is just irrational. This is beyond a political dispute. This is people who are hysterical, not in the ha-ha, but in the, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, that way. And they don't need to be. If Donald Trump does the horrible things that they think he's going to do, Republicans would join with him and, impe and remove him from office and impeach him. That would happen. Donald Trump doesn't have some mind control over every Republican in Congress. He doesn't have some mind control over the 60 million people who voted for him. They expect him to do certain things. If he doesn't do those things, if he does other things that are that are terrible, well, then we'll, we'll hold him accountable. His power is not endless. As much as people start to feel like the presidency is boundless, it is not. Now, I think part of the problem is that they're really worried he's just going to do what he said he was going to do and that they find that so objectionable is a whole other ball of wax. That building a wall on our southern border where we already have many walled sections and Congress has voted many times to build a wall, that that is cause for complete freakout and all of this paranoia and all this gnashing of teeth. That's disconcerting, to say the least. But they have, they have lost it. They have absolutely lost it when it comes to how they uh, how they are um, approaching this issue they're not being rational and normal and a perfect example of this and it was a who's who of the hollywood celebrities and it's troubling you got scarlett johansson with short hair not a fan of the short hair on scarlett uh scarlett johansson there john legend who fancies himself very political I've never I cannot think of a John Legend song off the top of my head, but he is well known. Um, and you had uh, Chelsea Handler and Charlize Theron, all these women at this at this women's march. And what they're marching for, no one's really clear on pro-life women need not apply. But other than that, men who think they're women more than welcome. And what they're marching for is really just opposition to Trump with a whole bunch of different flavors julia roberts was there i'm looking through the photos right now amy schumer was there uh, emma watson was there rosie perez was i mean we got yoko ono what a uh, what a yeah that's a discussion of course michael moore's there and share uh so we've got a lot of them but you gotta give the award for Wow, you are a moron. And that's saying a lot with the enormous numbers of gathered, screaming, shrieking leftists. It's saying a lot. Um, but the award for the dumbest, most over the top, and I cannot believe you said that in public award, that has to go to Madonna, uh, whom anyone who takes political advice, analysis, or thoughts from Madonna, just I hope they don't vote. 
and and I hope that they find something else to do with their time because they're really endangering all of us with their stupidity. Madonna got up on on tape and had this to share at the Women's March over the weekend in D.C. Please play it. I'm angry. Yes, I am outraged. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. But I know that this won't change anything. We cannot fall into despair. As the poet W.H. Auden once wrote on the eve of World War II, we must love one another or die. I have to say, of all the crazy things that Madonna has said, I mean, I've often thought about blowing up the White House. Is the I mean, it's, this is a quote that she says. Just so we're all clear. this is what she said on on tape. Okay, I'm, I'm quoting Madonna here. Um, what a Looney Tunes thing to say. I don't know, and people are going to say this probably. Oh, well, she needs a a visit from the Secret Service, and she needs to, you know, she needs to answer for that. I don't think anyone really thinks Madonna is considering any violent action, but nonetheless, it just shows you how irresponsible uh, and dumb the rhetoric is from the left on so many of these things. Uh, but this is the level they've gone to, where she's saying stuff where she could get a visit from the Secret Service for that. I, I don't think that would be too strange. I th I'm pretty sure an MMA fighter under the Obama administration said he wished Obama would get in the ring, and he got a visit from the Secret Service. I don't think anybody really thought that he thought Obama was going to get into the ring with him. It wasn't really a threat on the president's part. But they, they, he got a visit from the Secret Service. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did. And I got to think Obama, I mean, not Obama, Madonna, not Obama, Madonna kind of lining herself up for something along those lines, too, here. That anybody would cheer this on or think this is okay. I mean, these are people who are so lucky to have had, in many cases, the jobs and careers that they've had. They're so wealthy. I've had tremendous success in our capitalist society, and they have in the case of someone like Madonna also, made a lot of personal sacrifices along the way, been more morally pliable than perhaps many of us would like to see, but nonetheless. And now they turn around and want to lecture us all on how Donald Trump is the long, dark night of fascism in this country is all over. Donald Trump, who on so many levels shouldn't be terrifying to the left at all. The guy is from New York City. He is not morally a he's not a, a traditional moral conservative. He's been married three times. He and I don't I'm not that's I don't say that as a put down. I'm just saying that he's not the 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 Bible thumping tent preacher that the New York Times has been terrified is going to lead the country into some sort of anti progressive pogrom for you know, they've been ginning up fears about that for a long time. He's from New York City. Guy's really rich, hangs out a lot of rich friends, had the Clintons at his last wedding. What do they really think is going to happen here? A lot of conservatives know that what he says is for theater and he's try it's messaging. 
and they don't expect him to follow through on all of it. They expect him to maybe follow through on some of it. But uh, what's the big fear? What's the thing that's going to happen? Why are they all so deeply concerned about this? And I just have to say that it's gone to a place now where I can't really understand why they don't see themselves as insane. There are some objections that I can sit on and listen to, and I would think to myself, okay, well, this makes, I get it. They, they're, worried about, they're worried about funding for this, or they think that that's going to happen. Or but when you get Madonna, first of all, why is, who is giving Madonna a platform? Is it really that? Is the left so dependent on both identity politics and airhead celebrity culture that this is what they put forward? Does anybody with a three-digit IQ, forget that. Does anybody with an IQ at all, which I guess would be any sentient being, but you know what I'm saying, think that they should take political thoughts, wisdom, advice from Madonna? They think that that would be the way to go? I just sit here and think to myself, this is not somebody who has really advanced women's rights in any meaningful way. We could talk about that another time. She also can't seem to deal with the fact that there is aging gracefully, and then there's doing what Madonna's doing, which is just unseemly. It is it is uncomfortable to be around, even as a person who's just viewing the video clips of it after the fact when she's done these public performances. And she's going to tell us all that we need to be so scared. All these other celebrities that are gathering together, and not a single one of them, not a single one of them, seems willing to tell everybody, you know what, it's all going to be okay. You have Ashley Judd. Uh, was it Ashley Judd? Yes, Ashley Judd read from a poem that was a celebration of, quote, nasty women. And this is what she said. I'm a nasty woman. I'm not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. I'm not as nasty as your own daughter being your favorite sex symbol, your, I'll say, sex dreams infused with your own genes, referring to Ivanka. That's the first daughter. What would the media have done if Ashley Judd or any celebrity had gone after Obama's daughters in that way publicly? Never, she would never work again. She would never get a job in media, in Hollywood again, period. But you can say whatever you want, as disgusting as you want. This is forcing people like me who were open-minded to Trump I'm going to tell you this just so we all we're all clear. I see this stuff and I'm like, you know what? I'm getting into the Trump bunker, too. I'm ready to I'm ready to go. Let's let's rock and roll. Who, who wants to bring it? Because they're just not playing. They're not even letting anything play out. They're trying to stop this thing. They're trying to strangle the administration in the crib. All right, team, we'll hit a break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton, only on the Blaze Radio Network. It gets even worse than that Ashley Judd thing I read to you, which is really hard to believe. But you had a writer from SNL taking to Twitter, and you're going to see more of this. People are putting their careers in jeopardy because they're this this Trump 
freakout syndrome that they have is overtaking their better judgment. Um, but you have Saturday Night Live writer Katie Rich who tweeted out about Donald Trump's 10-year-old son. The kid is 10. He is like a baby. I mean, only 10 is not a baby, but he's really little. I don't even remember anything from when I was 10. And he's just being brought into this because this is his family. You know, this is I want to bring this up because people say, oh, Sasha and Malia were so young when they. okay, but nobody, uh, nobody would have been in any way, shape or form. okay with saying horrific things about Sasha or Malia as they shouldn't have been. That's just grotesque. It's wrong. I would never criticize the president's daughters. They're not a part of this. And to do so would also just be it'd be jerkish. And that was enforced for the media. But, of course, that was also enforced about Obama and about Mrs. Obama. And, you know, you couldn't criticize anybody for the Obamas. And the, the phalanx of media would come after you. But what we see here with Baron Trump, and then, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't want it to be this way, but I feel myself drawn more and more into, you know, the phalanx with Trump. Just being like, all right, if this is the way it's going to be, if it's going to be a constant all-out assault where the facts don't matter, where there's no decency, where there's no honesty, it's just all an effort by the rest of the power apparatus to destroy Trump and his family, I'm going to go shoulder-to-shoulder, shields high with Trump. That's how it's starting to feel. And this is just a response to what I see happening. This SNL writer who's got a following and writes for SNL, national TV, you know, nationally televised show, very well known, tweeted out that, quote, Barron will be this country's first homeschool shooter. The kid's 10 years old. First, this is on so many levels a problem. School shootings, not funny. And bringing a 10-year-old into a political fight this way is completely classless and referencing this school referencing a school shooting a homeschool shooting in the context of the white house is also starting to get into that is that a, is that a threat this woman of course deleted the tweet and now probably realizes that what she did is is, is inexcusable in every way and it's it's completely inconceivable that any rational adult would be okay with any of this and yet here we are here we are. I'm finding myself increasingly in uh, enraged with the way the left is treating the Trump administration and want to be a part of pushing back against it. And that can get sloppy because I want to hold them accountable on things and I'm going to try. But I also can't sit idly by and let the messaging get through that anything they want to say about Trump, his wife, his kids, it's all okay. It's not okay. And the media has disgraced itself, and it should never get back. It should never get back the journalistic integrity that it thinks that it may have lost over the election. Because it never had it in the first place. All right, team, we've got more coming. Uh, back right after this break. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
The Buck Sexton Show. Speak your mind. 888-900-3393. False equivalency is one of the left's favorite games. And when you have a situation where they really can't play it because it's so obviously untrue, uh, they then just want to move on to another subject. But they'll do the false equivalency thing for as long as they can get away with it. And an excellent example of this at work is the way that they were talking about protests. Oh, protest is all about free expression, the First Amendment, and opposition to Trump is part of the First Amendment. It's all about America, man. It's fine, right? Yeah. And then, of course, we saw on Friday and over the weekend protests where you had uh, people that were injured. You had a limousine lit on fire by these protesters. I think it was on K Street in downtown D.C., right near where I used to live. Uh, President Donald Trump's inauguration day, according to NBC News, was marred by noisy demonstrations, shoving matches and sporadic clashes with cops that resulted in more than 200 arrests. Uh, D.C. is not that big a place, and there are a lot of cops in D.C. too. And this just got it just got out of hand. Uh, They had six police officers were injured when protesters flung bricks, trash cans, and other objects and ignited small fires. They lit trash cans on fire. I I can't help but notice that you have people with their faces covered, all dressed in black, moving with paramilitary precision as a group, throwing rocks at police and threatening passersby, claiming that the real threat is Donald Trump who has done nothing, nothing to any of these people, hasn't even done anything that they could claim infringes on their rights, or he wasn't even president yet, or he'd been president for maybe a couple of hours when this happened. But there's no false equivalent. I mean, there's no equivalency here. It is completely false. It is false to pretend that anti-people say, oh, the Republicans were all lined up against Obama. Yeah, using the political process... They opposed his agenda. They weren't throwing bricks at cops. See, the the left really embraces, and there are some uh, there's other conservatives who have done deep dive research on this, particularly in the form of books. But they do embrace the mentality of the mob. They do embrace a lawlessness when it comes to their goals of a progressive uto- achieving a progressive utopia. It really all comes from an emotionalizing of politics that there is a there is a direct connection between where you stand on policy positions and your worth as a human being. And if you take certain policy positions, you are a better human being than the other people who don't. And you don't have to listen to them and you don't have to respect them. One of the really agitating, really annoying ironies of the uh, latter stages of the election cycle was hearing all this pretense of, oh, Trump doesn't have respect for the institution, doesn't have respect for the institution. What about these people? I don't have respect for the institutions, and I also really don't want to hear about how, oh, it's only a few hundred or maybe a few thousand that are acting out in this way. Did the, did the Tea Party ever act out in this way? Somebody just do a Google search for me or look on YouTube. Find me Tea Party rallies where there were Tea Partiers throwing rocks at cops' faces and lighting limousines on fire. How many people were at those Tea Party rallies? When are we allowed to say that there's something rotten in the ideology that spawns some of these events and stop making excuses for it all the time? Well, the left makes excuses for it. We try to hold them accountable. When are we allowed to point out the obvious here? 
And the obvious is that the left, as I was saying before, is in a withdrawal from Obama. And it's causing symptoms. And they're acting out on these symptoms. And that means rocks are thrown, trash cans are lit on fire, destruction of property, Starbucks windows get smashed. They've done this before, but there is much more of a support for this. There is much more acceptance of it, I think, in leftist circles because of Donald Trump's presidency. And it's just wrong. It is just deeply and truly wrong that this is happening. And there should be a sense of embarrassment from the left. But no, instead, they will trot out there that, you know, there's no, no big problem here. It's all fine. They'll defend this. Or they'll say that it's not representative, just like they do with Black Lives Matter. Is Black Lives Matter a toxic ideology that increases racial division and refuses to address the actual problems of criminality in predominantly black communities in these countries, uh, in this country? Yes. Are we allowed to say that? No. We're supposed to say that those who act out and even kill cops in that context or just say horrible things about police and exacerbate police community relations, they're not representative. There's some other good group of people that's fine that doesn't like any of that stuff. First of all, a lot of the people that don't throw rocks at the cops but just march like the people that throw the rocks. I know because it was the same thing with Occupy Wall Street. There was a reverence on the street when, when OWS was out there, when Occupy Wall Street was a thing here in New York City and in cities across the country. For those who would run into police lines, throw things at cops, tackle police, get tackled by police. Do things that would force the cops to use pepper spray. There was a reverence for that. They were the they were the vanguard. They were the tip of the progressive spear. And what we see now, we've got Madonna saying that she has thought a lot about blowing up the White House. Just a completely irresponsible and crazy thing to say. All these other celebrities, Ashley Judd saying the president has sex dreams about his own daughter. This is the new this is the president of the United States. A writer for the most famous sketch comedy show in the country sharing publicly in her official Twitter account that she thinks that Trump's 10 year old son is going to be a homeschool shooter. I assume he means she meant inside the White House. These people were all they will all still have jobs. They, they will all still continue to work. There will be no real consequences for this. That's one of the most enraging parts of all of what's happening in this country right now. We're looking at the political discussion on the right. You are held because you because you aspire to standards. You are held to an unreasonable standard because you believe in dignity and truth and right and wrong. Any mistake you make or anything you say that maybe goes over the line or it doesn't even just the left pretends that it does is grounds for drummed out of office kicked out of the public square, fired from your job, no longer working. And they always say it's because you know there's hypocrisy. If it's a real failing on the right, it's hypocrisy because we at least try to adhere to principles and standards and morality and good conduct. But when you apply the politically correct standard to it, well, now it's just a moving target. And now it's just when can they get you? Did you do anything wrong? No, but can they get you? Because they will. And we have to live with that all the time. I've been talking to friends recently. I talked to a progressive friend of mine, a real progressive, who works in media. We were just chatting recently. I've, I've got a few of them who are really far-left radical types. But we get along, and in person I'm amusing, so it's fine. And I was just saying to her, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't understand why these people on the left don't see themselves as being the totalitarians. I don't understand how they can go about their day-to-day lives and not realize that they're the problem. Because they're so sure of their righteousness that they're willing to do real harm to other people's lives. And there's this very radioactive, destructive, corrosive mentality that has overtaken so much of the left that they they need scalps. They need to pile up some bodies, so to speak, just so to speak for now, on our side to make examples of people. And so we have to live by this ever-evolving standard because they're the ones, like I said, they're the ones that go and complain to the teacher. You know, they're actually the teacher's pet. And the, the teacher, in this case, is the government, is the media. You know, they always want to go and use the lovers of power to punish people that they don't like. And they won't allow us to just live our lives and go about our day-to-day in peace. Conservatives in the media, in particular, held a, a completely different standard. I mean, there are people on the left that are in media. I'm just like, this, you know, the things they get away with in terms of the way they treat their significant other, their wives, their, uh, you know, they got tax problems, they got ethical problems, plagiarism problems, you know, anything, you know, they say something really stupid. Unless they say something deeply racist, deeply anti-Semitic, and, or, or, or anti-gay, they can, they can get away. And when I mean racist, I mean anti-black. But unless they cross one of those lines on the left, they can pretty much get away with anything. Those are the only red lines on the left in media. You say something deeply anti-Semitic, deeply anti... I'm just basing it on cases that I've seen, right? People, when they've actually lost their jobs or there have been consequences for what they've said, it's usually in one of those places. If, you're, if you say something that is anti-gay, anti-black, or anti-Semitic, you are probably donezo. But other than that, there is nothing you can say, and there's no level of comportment. There's no base, uh, morally decrepit position you can forward about the other side that will get you in trouble. Maybe they'll make some show of, hey, 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 that was a little too far. Maybe they'll agree for a day or two that mockery of Trump's 10-year-old son is crossing the line. But they'll switch back. They'll bring them back into the fold after they've given them a timeout. Completely different on the right. Completely different rules of the road. I've, I've talked to friends of mine about how it would just be so much easier, especially in my business, to just, to just give in. Just be one of these whiny, beta male progressives. Oh, I just care so much about people, and I like to play the, the gotcha game of... Oh, you said something. You used the wrong pronoun for somebody. You're a bad person. All that stuff. And so many places that have tremendous amounts of money and they have all these billionaire backers and they're writing checks to keep these media companies afloat and they get to go to all the fancy parties and they get to hang out with the Hollywood starlets and celebrities. And But I just can't do it. It would be so much easier. I just can't do it. I, I despise. I don't despise people that I don't know. I really try to make a point of making sure that I separate that out of my head. I, I, I don't hate people I don't know. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe I hated Saddam Hussein or something, but I, but I can hate ideologies, and I really hate the ideology of the left. I, I have a, a revulsion to it because I see it as inconsistent 
and unfeeling and destructive and really just a, a form of exploiting human vanity. That's the prime motivator on the left. This gives you the right to say whatever you want about people and you get to think you're some sort of hero and some sort of cultural and social revolutionary and you get to be surrounded by people who are telling you that and clapping for you and you have the pretense of bravery without the risks that bravery actual bravery necessitates and it was just a it was just a bacchanal of leftist bs over the weekend it really was and they should be ashamed they're not do you think that cnn by the way you think that msnbc you think that these outlets new york times Washington post do they cover this with any disdain i mean compare the way that they write about these protests with the way that they write about say rick perry becoming department of energy secretary or energy secretary just look at the writing. Just in one case, just dripping with the most utter contempt. And writing about these protests, yeah, there were some arrests and things happened. It was a big march, though. A lot of people were just trying to express themselves. Let's move on. I want to move on. I don't want to move on. A lot of this is a legacy of Obamaism. I think that's important to establish as well. A lot of this is the Obama administration uh, pandered to these people. Uh, was absolutely open to all of their childishness and really brought it out of them and made them think that they're so right and everyone else is so wrong, made them think that they're special and different and better and that there were no rules for them, that they could get away with saying anything that they wanted. And, and it has been true for eight years. With Trump, I, I have to say that the more that he antagonizes the media, the better I think it is. I want him to. I, I don't I don't care this whole thing. Oh, people would... would journalists speak truth to power they're gonna they're gonna tell you everything trump does wrong you can guarantee that and we're all gonna know about it but they're gonna do more than that and i just feel like it's good that they're put on notice i'm sick of it my my entire life that i can remember i've been reading newspaper articles and watching new shows on tv and watching public commentary and watching the direction of the culture and thinking to myself who are these uh these little quizlings these cowards who constantly find targets that can't fight back to destroy, to make an example to the others, and who band together and think themselves courageous for doing the easy thing, the cowardly thing, and just want to constantly tell all the rest of us what we can do, how we can do it, where we should go, who we should see, everything. Have What it really comes down to is they have an allergy to liberty. They find real, true liberty to bring about some form of psychological anaphylactic shock. They just can't deal with it. And so they constant, they're, they're always finding ways to try and destroy it. It's just the way that they are. It's the scorpion and the frog, and they're stinging everybody. All right, team, we're hit a break here. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton. All right, team, please do uh, download today's podcast when you get a chance. Uh, 
SoundCloud.com uh, is a good place to go. Also, iTunes. Uh, you can just subscribe. Please subscribe. That's my favorite. If you haven't subscribed, you're listening to the show, please click subscribe on whichever platform you use to listen to the show. Uh, if you're a podcast downloader, please do subscribe. And uh, spread it to a friend or two. Uh, I will be in tomorrow. I'm in for Rush on Wednesday. But every other day this week, here in the Freedom Hub with you all, as always, my dearest friends, Shield Talk. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.